0: Heavenly Father, thank you that we can be again here this morning, united in Jesus and changed and transformed by your word at work in our midst by your spirit. We ask that you would help us to listen clearly to what you're saying from this last bit of Philippians. Help us to be ready to change, to be what you want us to be as your disciples of Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Gifts are really hard, aren't they? I always breathe a sigh of relief once we get to January and I don't have to think about Christmas anymore because I'm one of those people that gifts don't really come very naturally to. I have to think really hard and go, oh, what would they like? What don't they have? And I realized this was really hard for me a few years ago when my brother got married and suddenly there's this whole other side of the family and I don't know them very well, and I don't know what they have and what their gift culture is and how much to spend. It was tough. And it's hard because I think we all remember really bad gifts. We remember the times that we have given gift cards to places that we'd hate to even step into. Um, we enjoy remembering the times that someone gave us something we love so much that we already have it. It's, it's hard sometimes to know how to be generous with the people around you. And it's hard for us to think about in general as Christians, what's the place of generosity for us in church? How do we think through it as people that are following Jesus with the things that we give as well? We're going to be getting into that this morning as we finish up this last bit of Philippians together. As Paul ties together the different themes we've seen in the letter as he thinks through and helps the Philippians think through the gifts that they've been giving him and the support they've been giving him as a minister of the gospel in the place he's in. There's going to be three main parts this morning, but I'll be focusing on the first two. So verses 10 to 20, Uh, we'll talk about the greetings a little bit at the end. But it's those verses that help us see really clearly what the mindset of both contentness and generosity have in the life of Christians. So let's get into that first part, starting with verse 10. Shall i read out now. I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You're indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. In this first part, Paul is revisiting what the church has given them through Epaphroditus, who we heard about a little bit earlier. But he's going to interrupt himself in verses 11 and 13 and talk about a whole other thing, But before we get there, I thought it'd be a good idea to explain just what exactly he's doing with this first verse and why this whole section is here in the first place. There's a lot of dispute around this whole part of Philippians, around people that think that it was added later or that it doesn't really fit in with the letter. But I think it's worth pointing out right from the start that all of this that Paul's saying in today's last passage is not strange if you've been paying attention to what he's been teaching in the letter so far. Notice that two of the big ideas that have come again and again are showing up here again, just in this first verse, that there's joy that comes from a mutual concern for Christ and each other for Christians in the church. The Greek word that's translated as concern here, it's popped up again and again all throughout the letter. In chapter 1, it came up as Paul was describing the deep feelings he has towards the church. In chapter 2, it was his exhortation to have the same mind together that is after the mind of Christ. In chapter 3, it was the mature thinking that we're all called to. And even at the start of chapter 4 last week, we had the ladies at the start being told to agree together, to be of this same mind and concern. And I think Paul's rejoicing here right at the start of this section because he's seeing in the people the very thing he's been trying to teach them throughout the letter that's expressed in the way that they've been giving in support for him. It's right on theme for the whole letter. It's believers that are expressing the unity they have in the mind of Christ, in the way that they're supporting one another and united to one another joyfully in the work of the gospel. So that's what I think is going on here. It's not out of place. This section is really a culmination of a lot of the things that Paul's been talking about the whole time. But we'll get over to his slight diversion. If you look at verses 11 and 13, he seems to be talking about contentment. And it's in contentment that he'll say will only come through Christ." He says, "Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. First, this doesn't really sound that friendly. He hasn't even thanked the church yet. He said, oh, you brought brought me joy, but not that I needed what you gave me. I wouldn't send this to someone if they'd given me a Christmas present. But Paul's making a really big point here that actually helps us deeply understand where our generosity can come from. And it's his point about contentedness. He makes it clear that They're giving him great joy, so it's not him just trying to get grumpy at them. Later on, he's going to say how special they are. It's about this mindset that Paul has that comes from the mindset of Christ, of contentedness in all things in him. He says in quite a few ways that he's learned in whatever situation he's in to be content. In verse 12, there's three contrasts. He says he knows how to do it when he's brought low, literally to be humbled. And he knows how to respond in abundance. He knows how to face both plenty and hunger. He knows how to face abundance and need. And remember, all throughout the letter, there's been this undercurrent of us knowing that Paul is in chains for the gospel. He's someone that knows what it is to suffer He knows what it looks like to be brought low in the service of the Lord Jesus. And he knows that the church that he's writing to knows this too. They too, in their life and work in living for Jesus, have been facing many troubles. He's saying that there's a way to contentment, even in terrible situations like this. And it's really interesting. He calls it a secret It sounds kind of cute as you're reading it, but I think he's actually trying to say something a bit deeper and almost like a dig at some of the false teachers that are going around. He uses the same sort of language that the false teachers of his day would say to try to lure Christians away from Jesus, to say, oh, you think you've got it all, but you're missing something. You can find the secret here in this special knowledge, this special teaching, this special person or ritual But he's saying here that there's nowhere else to look because he makes it clear in that famous verse, verse 13, that this secret is found purely in being in Christ and knowing his strength for contentment. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I think as Josh was alluding to, it's one of the most famous verses from the New Testament. It's one of the ones where if you go into Koorong, you will see it on a calendar or a bracelet or all sorts. Uh, You'll see inspirational pictures of pretty fields on Instagram. Um, You'll see it on athletes' outfits and shoes. I even saw it on a restaurant once, which is a bit ironic because that restaurant got closed down for underpaying its workers. But even though it's a really cherished verse for many people, we actually run a lot of risk of cherishing it for the wrong reasons. If we're just using it as a mantra on its own, it sounds a lot like I can accomplish all my hopes and desires with the strength of Jesus. Anything I set out to do, I can do through him. It's not about that at all. In this verse, he's instead saying, that he can do all the things he's talking about in verses 11 and 12. Rather than being this verse about ambition and desire and getting things done, it's actually a verse about contentness and what you have in your life with Jesus. Paul's experienced great suffering, and he can experience it because of the great strength he knows in Christ. Even in abundance, He can be content not to seek more, to be content with what he has and using it for Christ's glory because he knows him and he is strengthened by him to endure in this way. This is why Paul says he didn't need their gift. He's not being unthankful. He just doesn't depend on it because his faith doesn't depend on it. His ministry and proclamation of the gospel doesn't depend on it. He can face all situations through Christ because he knows that in Christ he has everything every day for all that Christ wants him to do in the proclamation of Jesus to all around him. Getting this right isn't about trying to take a really nice verse away from you that you cherish, but it's meant to actually help us see how beautiful it is. It's not an empty promise that we can do anything that I'm sure all of us have actually seen doesn't happen. Instead, it's beautiful because it helps us see what it is that actually gives us strength to live every day, to face anything, whether little or lots, whether suffering or great glory, because of the contentedness that comes in Christ. It's the only way we can get it. When we chase other things, it always eludes us, and it's always the next thing we're looking for. Paul is greatly content with all his life in Christ, and that's the only way that we can be too. We'll be touching on that a little bit more later, but from there, Paul moves towards the second part of the passage where he gets back to the topic he started on, on the generosity of the church. Let me read from verse 14. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Again, I don't think this is Paul trying to give them a hard time for their gifts. He's really appreciative. He talks about their kindness and the uniqueness of the generosity of this church. They've had a special partnership right from the beginning. And in verse 15, he reminds us of his general philosophy. He's not someone who ever wants to take from the churches he's ministering to so that there is no stumbling block for the gospel to be heard and received, and for people to find faith and life in it. And yet the Philippians' keenness to give is the only exception to that. Their relationship is appreciated and really special. And it's not just this once-off gift now, it's from the beginning and again and again and again of many opportunities of them sharing of what they have sacrificially for the work of the gospel that Paul's doing We support a number of missionaries as a church, and we do that because we're committed not just to proclaiming Christ and making disciples here, but supporting the work of the gospel to all people around the whole world. But all of the people we support have other people who are supporting them too, people who are supporting them with prayers and finances. Imagine if any of the missionaries on the back wall there as you're entering the church, if we were the only people who are financially partnering with them if we were the only people that were supporting all of what they're doing, that would be a really special relationship, a close thing that would give us joy and them joy and encouragement. This is the sort of thing that Paul is experiencing from the Philippians. It's the sort of thing that he was so thankful for with them in chapter one, as he prays for them and gives thanks for them continually. It'd be amazing But it's not quite as simple just to say that he is just purely talking about the good things and the straight things of this relationship. It's a great example of his teaching of concern for each other as brothers and sisters. It's not a rebuke, it's a commendation, but it's not quite that simple. In verse 17, Paul starts showing that this relationship is something that he's actually seeking other things for, not even the things that they give him. Despite the great joy it gives him and the way that it unites them together in Jesus, the biggest thing that he's seeking through their giving is actually their own goods and their own spiritual goods. Let me read in verse 17 and 18. Not that I seek the gift but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Paul's emphasis is not on his thankfulness for the things that he's received, but actually his thankfulness for the spiritual good it is doing in the lives of the church who are supporting him. He didn't need their gifts, not because they were useless, but because of his contentedness in Christ and trust for him to supply all the things he needed. But there's much more to this giving than just these physical needs. It's not just an exchange of two things, Generosity in this sort of way that Paul's talking about is bearing spiritual fruit both in Paul, in his ministry and in the church that is supporting him. It's an extension of their mutual concern for Christ but it's also an expression of their trust and worship of God. Notice the way that they're compared to the fragrant offerings and sacrifice in the Old Testament. It's really helpful because it's a similar picture to what Paul's talked about with himself God never needed those offerings it's not like God ever needed some sort of special air freshener routine every day to make things smell right for him he gave them these things to do because they're an expression of the people's trust in him and his word and his command and his salvation plan for them It was them offering worship and obedience to their God and creator in the way that he wished them to. Every time the Philippians gave, and every time we give today, it's primarily us serving God even before it is serving his people. It's great for our Christian joy and unity together in the way that we share in these things, But it's also utmost in growing our trust and contentment in Christ. Remember, they were going through hard times. All of this giving was greatly sacrificial for them in their giving to Paul. But by doing it, they were expressing their confidence in God in much the same way that he had. That he would supply all that they need and the last two verses of that section in 19 and 20 really drive that home. Paul says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. I've heard these verses taken out of context in nearly exactly the same way as verse 13. And it's, it's really sad. I hear things like twisted ideas of things like seed giving. So this idea that, okay, I want more money now. So I give money and then it's going to come back to me. And it's not just going to come back to me as it is. It's going to come back better. It's going to grow and bear fruit. It's not talking about that at all. Even worse, people stretch the idea of the needs in this verse. And they start to sound closer and closer to wants or nice-to-haves or luxuries rather than anything that is about our needs in continuing to stay faithful to God in serving him for the rest of our lives. But ironically, when we helpfully understand verse 13, it's what helps us to understand Paul's statement here. Of course, Paul is thinking about physical things too when he talks about this verse. But he's confident in just so much more than that. Paul is confident that God will give the Philippians all they need for whatever situation they're in in the same way that he is confident in his contentedness, in his work of the gospel. How much more is Paul thinking about the spiritual strength of perseverance to keep saying yes to Jesus every day and no to the world and its temptations, no to other things that would seek to fulfill and satisfy, saying yes to Jesus and his plan for eternity to come. Generosity and gospel partnership isn't just some physical exchange. It's not just something that affects one person and not the other. It's a beautiful relationship of unity But it's ultimately one that God uses to grow us in our trust and dependence on him in our faithfulness to him in his plan for us. It helps us see him as the ultimate giver of all we need and all the world needs and us to submit to him and his plans for our lives. Generosity is hard, but we'll talk through that more later. But as we get to the end, there is those final few verses, the greetings, and it would be really easy to skip these, but I think there's an important point, even if it's a small one, that Paul's making from them. He's been talking so much about partnership and unity, and the way he ends this letter really drives that home. Let me read from verse 21. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. I think Paul's really trying to drive home in the way, in the particular way he ends this, that everyone matters in gospel partnership. There's a few specific people that have been mentioned throughout the letter. There's Epaphroditus and his travels and sickness and the gift he brought. And there's Timothy, who they wanted to come, but Paul was like, no, not yet, wait a bit. And there are these two ladies that seem to have disagreements at the start. But the way Paul ends this letter is all encompassing. It's all the people in Philippi. It's all the people around Paul. Paul doesn't end all of his letters like this. Often he has a few more specific mentions at the end. But I think he's trying to say that this kind of gospel partnership that he's in is more than just Paul. It's more than just the church leaders. It's more than these messengers that they're sending. Throughout the whole letter, we've seen this call to unity and having this mind of Christ Jesus. And this kind of gospel partnership that Paul's calling them towards is something that involves everyone, that everyone matters. Everyone is called into this thing of joy and encouragement, of generosity, of like-mindedness that comes through being united to Jesus. All the saints around Paul and all the saints in Philippi matter for the proclamation of the gospel. There's a small way that I think it's helpful to think about this I used to work with AFES and so I know a little bit what it's like for Anton and CP who we support in Uni Ministry and Griffith, what that partnership can feel like. For Anton and CP, this is more than just a relationship between them and our church leaders. It's all of us as a church, isn't it? It's all of the staff team at their campus and it's all their student leaders working together. Whenever they visit here, they tell me how encouraged they are when people welcome them and talk to them and tell them about how God is at work in their lives and God is showing people himself through what they say. Um, They are encouraged by the times we pray for them, not just up the front here, but in our community groups and each one of you in your time at home and when no one sees. And on their campus, it's more than just him and CP, like Anton and CP, it's It's all the students. I know that their student leaders will be praying for all of the churches that support the work there. I know their staff team will. I know that they're really keen if they're hearing of students settling into our area to think about who they might be able to um, send them to if they're looking for churches. There's so many ways that gospel partnerships that we have and are throughout God's church can be enriching for both sides and it involves everyone it's not just the specific people but it's all God's people caught together in the same beautiful relationship for the work of the gospel I think this small little bit at the end is just helping remind us see that everyone does really matter and so as we start to wrap up this passage this morning how are we going to think about responding to these calls both to contentness and generosity as we think about this year to come. I think it's worth asking ourselves about each one of these. We need to ask ourselves, what will contentment in Christ look like for you or for me this year? Start of the new year is often filled with lots of ambitions and some of those are really great. There are things we'd like to do better this time around. There are things we'd like to grow in, in our character, in knowing and loving God and his people. And it's not wrong to seek to be doing those things. That's amazing. But there's lots of our ambitions that come in a new year that are really murky in the way that we are motivated. There are desires for more finances to be less stressed. There's desire for more holidays or less responsibilities or more me time at home new relationship, a new job, a new phone, or a car, or a house. And sometimes these are really good desires for what God would have us use them for. But at least I know for myself how easy it is for these things to instead come out of being discontent, or from being envious, or from lust, or from greed. Sometimes we justify these things by saying, if I had this thing Then I could trust in God. Then I could serve him most fully. Then I would be happy as a Christian. Then I'd be content. Whether you just have a little, or if you have a whole lot, it's a lot less alluring for us to think about committing at the start of a year to growing in contentment. That's the mindset this passage is showing us. It's showing us that Contentment only comes from Jesus and the strength he gives us as we trust in him and put our faith into him every day. It's all knowing that all we have is in him. All we need for all that he would have us do is in him, that he won't abandon us, he won't forget us, that for everything he wants of us, he will give all that we need. What will contentment in Christ look like for you this year? Might it look like a desire to grow in knowing more of this strength that Christ gives us to have an assurance that all that we need is in him? That's one of the things I'm praying for myself. What about the second question? What will gospel generosity look like for you this year? The two things are really interlinked, aren't they? If we don't have contentment in our lives as Christians, at best, generosity is stressful. And at worst, it can place us in situations that make us doubt or distrust God. If we start to think that it's our generosity that's equal to God's love for us and all sorts of things that can get us in trouble. But... As we grow in contentment in Jesus, I think it really helps us look towards generosity as his people for the work of the church, for the proclamation of the gospel, and for the help and support of other Christians around us. I know when I started working full-time a few years ago, I started to struggle with a standard of living creep. Suddenly, as I got more money and more money, it was really easy to adjust to having more money but then when I started doing some ministry work at uni, and I went down a bit, I still wanted to stay here. I didn't really want to adjust the way I lived to be based around what I had. It was based around what I wanted to have. And I think that's true for a lot of us. It's really hard to actually freeze our standard of living or decrease it for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of God's people. But that's one of the things that it's really worth us considering. If all we do as we get more and more is decide to spend more and more, and especially just spending more and more on ourselves, that's not really a picture of contentment, is it? If we think through this, as we think through being content in what we have, it helps free us up to be generous of more and more of what we have. Many of us are starting to feel the impact of prices going up, of bills and groceries and all sorts of things, but Josh and I were just at a couple of days of a missionary conference in the last week, and we were all reminded that that's true for everyone, and especially for many missionaries in countries that don't have good supply chains and who are reliant on corrupt or dodgy ways of getting things. Even as things get more expensive for us, they can get more and more expensive for Christians doing the work of the gospel elsewhere too. So we need to think through how are we going to make the most of what we have to support all that God is doing everywhere, whether that's here or elsewhere. Coming from our contentness in Christ that frees us to be generous to more people and more deeply. But we do this not just out of filling a need or just because someone needs some physical thing. Remember Paul's point throughout this that there's more to this generosity than just an exchange of stuff or filling something that someone needs. It's a deep spiritual encouragement for everyone. There's lots of missionaries we support and We don't just have a one-sided relationship with them. They all ask how they can pray for us as we talk to them or as they visit. You might like to think about, as they all actually take individual support as well, is there one of the people we support in gospel work around the world that you could grow in knowing more deeply? And so you can actually grow in being encouraged by what they're doing and sharing the encouragement of what God is at work in here too. Do this remembering that it's not just us feeling a need, it's us being grown in joy and encouragement and obedience and faith in the Lord Jesus. What will it look like for you this year as you make your plans and as you revise your budget? will it look like not just growing in contentment for self, but growing in generosity for God's work and with his people? This morning, we've heard God's word show us that true contentment and true generosity only come through wholehearted trust in Jesus. Any other ways that we look leave us hurting others or hurting ourselves, of never finding what we're looking for or giving things just to prop us up that always fail. As we go into this new year, let's pray that God would help us shape our hearts to find all that we need in Jesus, and to be people that would give much of ourselves for him and his gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that in Jesus we truly have all that we need, that in him we have life and salvation and joy and unity together with you and your people that we long for and look forward to forever. And, Lord, we thank you for the opportunities that this brings us to be joining in giving generously to the work of the gospel amidst your people. Lord, as we go into this year, we pray that you would help our desires and our ambitions to align more and more with the mind of Christ. Help us to humbly, sacrificially and steadfastly cling to him in all things. And help others do so and support them in whatever way we can. Lord, use us for your glory alone, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.